baseball fans. It's time to take a trip from coast to coast across Major League Baseball. There it goes, a long drive. If it stays fair, home run. One strike away. Sandy into his windup. Here's the pitch. Swung out and missed a perfect game. Fly ball deep left center. Grissom on the run. Yes, yes, yes. The Atlanta Braves have given you a championship. Listen to this crowd. Braves and baseball talk straight from the diamond. Here's Grant McCauley. Hello again, and welcome to another episode of From the Diamond. As always, I'm Grant McCauley, and it's time for our weekly chat about what's going on with the Atlanta Braves. And as it is the hot stove, we'll have some other rumors and discussion and rumblings from across Major League Baseball and how those things might relate to the Atlanta Braves. We've got some interesting minor league news to talk about. We still haven't solved if there's going to be a designated hitter in the National League in 2021, though we might have gotten some indication this week. We'll get into that, and we'll be talking about the Braves' long-term window of contention, and some of the other National League teams that might be taking a step back, which could allow the Braves to possibly take yet another step forward. And as we saw in 2020, when they got to the National League Championship Series, the next step forward for the Atlanta Braves, a trip back to the World Series, and if all goes according to plan, finally bringing another title home to Atlanta. Before we get started and I bring Gabe into the show, I want to remind you, you can find From the Diamond on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, SoundCloud, and Stitcher. Leave those ratings and reviews, and please, if you like the show, share it with a friend. Over on Twitter, you can find the show at From the Diamond underscore. I am at Grant McCauley, G-R-A-N-T-M-C-A-U-L-E-Y. You can follow Gabe Burns on Twitter as well, at Gabe Burns H-A-C. On Instagram, the show is at From the Diamond with no underscore, and I am at Grant McCauley on Instagram as well. And you can find every episode of the show and so much more at FromTheDiamond.com. So let me welcome Gabe Burns of the Atlanta Journal-Constitution into the show as always. You can follow his work on Twitter at AJC. I'm sure that the Braves have been keeping both of us busy and fans busy in the early goings. They've been one of the most active teams out there, but a relatively quiet week for the Braves as far as the hot stove's concerned. But some kind of cool Braves news in terms of awards. As always, Gabe, I appreciate you carving out some time this week to talk about all of the Braves topics that we have on the docket for today's show. Yeah, Grant, appreciate it. Thanks for having me. And there's always plenty to talk about, even when the team's not making moves. We'll keep trying to find the things that will fill the time and give people the Braves discussion that I think they look for each and every week, even when the Braves aren't out signing or making a trade or the kind of things that really make the winter exciting. But I think all Braves fans can agree that 2020 was a great year for a lot of Atlanta Braves individually. And of course, collectively, they were a win away from getting to the World Series. But uh, Major League Baseball had no All-Star game in 2020. So they created this all-MLB team, and there's a first team and a second team. And the Braves had three men make that first team. Freddie Freeman, of course, National League MVP. Marcelo Zuna, all he did was flirt with the Triple Crown. And Max Fried had a pretty strong case for the National League Cy Young Award. And then Ronald Acuna Jr. was named to the second team in the all-MLB team. So some pretty good honors for the Braves. And I think, Gabe, this really underscores exactly how good the Braves were as a team and the kind of seasons that some of the individual players had that made it such a special year. No doubt. I mean, they, you know, leading the majors with three guys on the first team, and then you have Acuna on the second team. And, I mean, we know the type of talent that Acuna is. And, the, and the mm-hmm. type, you know, he didn't have the greatest season of his young career so far, but we know that he was battling through the wrist injury and, 
you know, he's going to be due for a huge 2021. And for Freddie, you know, the Hank Aaron award, yep. then, you know, being named first team. I mean, it, he deserves every award he gets. Um, he's the face of the franchise. He was the best player in baseball this year. So, and Max Freed, it's great to see him take that step forward and have that breakthrough year. And for him to be considered one of the five best guys there. I mean, you know, if you're a Braves fan, you have to be really, really excited about the way that this rotation is shaping up, not just in 2021, but the core group you have in place for the next, you know, five plus years. Yeah, it's very exciting. Some good young pitchers. Of course, Max Fried is the guy who took the big step forward in 2020 in large part. The Braves are very happy he did because after him, pretty much every other one of their plans for how that starting five was going to look when they approached spring training and, even when they came back for the summer camp to get ready for the 2020 abbreviated season, none of those plans seemed to go the way that the Braves had hoped. But Max Fried, more than a silver lining, he was just an absolute MVP-type candidate, even on the Braves team itself. I mean, we can talk about Freddie Freeman. We can talk about Marcelo Zuna. We could talk about Ronald Acuna. We could talk about the guys that you expect to be maybe in that discussion. But Max Fried was kind of a low-key MVP for the Braves, holding that pitching staff together by being the one constant they had in that rotation. So great honor for him. Uh, Freddie Freeman, as you mentioned, Hank Aaron Award as well. And only two Braves have won that award. It's only been around for about 20 years. It came in 1999. And the other Brave to win it was in 2005. It was Andrew Jones and his 51 home run campaign, by the way. Just if you're looking for other Hall of Fame credentials for Andrew Jones besides gold gloves, winning a Hank Aaron Award's a pretty good accolade for him as well. But Andrew Jones, and Freddie Freeman on the list of Hank Aaron Award winners for the Atlanta Braves on that award and named after the greatest of all of the Braves in franchise history in Hank Aaron. So I'm sure that that honor is not lost on Freddie Freeman as he continues to rack these things up. No doubt. That's a huge, huge honor. It's cool that he's the second guy to win it. And, you know, seeing the broadcast on MLB Network with Hank talking to Freddie. Yeah. I mean, how you don't get chills listening to Hank talk and, I mean, just what a, for as good of a ball player as he was, you know, just what, what a great human being and somebody that we're really lucky to have part of the Atlanta community and, and, you know, Braves franchise history. So, you know, it's just really awesome just to see that. I don't know if it's possible not to get off in the weeds on this or whatnot, but I've, I've had some conversations with different people about can the all-time home run leader for as long as Hank was and you know, whether or not you recognize Barry Bonds as your home run leader or not in the case of some folks, which is a whole nother argument. But is it possible to underrate the all-time home run leader? Because I think in some regards, people just didn't recognize what a special player and complete hitter for so long, for over two decades, that Hank Aaron truly was. No, I agree. I mean, he's really, oh, in the history of baseball, if he's not number one, you know, he's top three. I mean, just his influence, his play, who he was, just everything about him is just really everything you want in an athlete and a person. So, I mean, to have him representing the Braves, for that to be their guy, I mean, it's it's just really cool. And to see him, you know, connect with Freddie Freeman, and he's always been so complimentary of Freddie. And, you know, he visited spring training this past year, and for him to still be around and connect with some of the current players, I mean, that, that's just so cool. And it you know, we're just really fortunate to have him as part of this community. Most definitely. And I've had the opportunity a couple of times just to meet Hank Aaron and just to shake hands with him, have a brief conversation. I'm not sitting down doing the Roy Firestone up close, you know, interview and getting 30 minutes or anything with Hank, but just 
the little bit of time that you get to spend with him. He's just such a warm individual, but you know you're in the presence of just one of the all-time greats. And even at the age that he was when I met him, what, four or five years ago, he's now into his 80s, you know, you shake hands with Hank Aaron, you can tell those big, strong hands were a big reason why he was hitting 755 home runs and getting well over 3,000 hits and becoming one of the all-time great hitters. It's just it's amazing just to be in a room around a guy like Hank Aaron, and that would never and will never be lost on me, the opportunity to be in a room with somebody that accomplished so much, not only in baseball history, franchise history, but just on and off the field. Hank Aaron, just what a legacy he's left. For sure. He, he's got a presence about him. There's an aura around him. Just, um, you know, I, I was, you know, when I first started at the AJC, I was, I was lucky enough. I, I got to meet him and get a picture with him. And that was one of the coolest moments of my life. Like he's just, he's awesome. And, and ev- everything that you just said, I mean, you can just feel his warmth and just what a special person he is. Just any, anytime you're anywhere near him. Absolutely. What a legacy he has built. So, Legacy for Hank Aaron is one thing. Legacy that uh, Freddie Freeman's building right now is pretty darn good resume, if you will. And we're still going to be monitoring when the Braves and Freddie Freeman might be able to hammer out getting an extension done. I know that a lot of Braves fans are curious about that. I think that's still very much on the table as far as this winter is concerned. And we'll see how that all plays out. But as we talked about this MLB first team, not just Freddie Freeman, not just Max Reed, but also Marcelo Zuna, he's a guy that the Braves, I think, would very much like to have back in the mix no pun intended, if he could be the the protection for Freddie Freeman in the lineup. And we've talked about this a good amount on the show already, and for good reason. Marcelo Zuna was such a great fit. A part of that, of course, was that the designated hitter was put in play in the National League in 2020 as part of the rules changes and things in the abbreviated season. But, Gabe, this universal DH decision has been dragging on throughout the winter. We discussed it a lot on last week's show, but Ken Rosenthal of The Athletic reporting that National League clubs were instructed by Major League Baseball in a memo to operate as if the designated hitter would not be in play in 2021. Now, the CBA is still something that has to be figured out within the next calendar year, and I still think that this designated hitter thing could happen for 2021 and could be back, and I think it will be back. But it's not really being handled in a timely manner whatsoever, and I think that's hurting the market for several sluggers. And in the midst of that, of course, is Marcelo Zuna, who showed that he can be a pretty powerful hitter. You may not want him putting on the glove and trotting out to a position defensively every day, but, man, if you could put that bat in your lineup, I can't see why any of the 30 clubs wouldn't want that. Yeah, you know, we dove into it last week, and and we both agreed it's it's pretty ridiculous at this point that nothing's been established. And, and look, I get it. You know, it's a negotiation, and you have to tell these clubs to operate under the assumption there won't be. I mean, that does make sense. Um, it was news, but it does make sense that they would tell teams to proceed forward that way. I'm with you. I still think that something gets done here. It just doesn't make a lot of sense just overall to have pitchers hitting this upcoming season. Uh, nobody wants it. So I, I feel like eventually something gets done, but the fact that nothing is getting done now, um, it is hurting guys like Ozuna, who I, who you know, he's in position to get a really nice payday, obviously on a multi-year deal, which is something he really wanted last winter. He didn't get it. He responded by taking this one-year deal, and he had the best year of his career. He had the best. He had a top-five season in baseball, right? So, uh, so he deserves that, and, and it's it's hurting his market because there's several NL suitors who, the Braves included, obviously, who who just aren't quite sure what's going on here. So. You know, I wrote, I recently wrote, uh, probably by the time you hear this, I'll tweet it out. 
I wrote a blog just recapping Ozuna, looking back on Ozuna's season, why it makes sense to keep him and what, what, you know, what the concerns or red flags could be. And, and uh, we'll get into this too. And we said this last week, but you know, if there's a scenario, you do have to play him in left field for a year. Uh, I'm, I'm of the belief the Braves should, should gamble there. And, you know, there was uh, Eduardo Perez said in an interview on MLB network this week that Ozuna still sees himself as a left fielder and that he doesn't even want to DH full-time right now. So there's a lot of different factors that go into it. Obviously you prefer him as a DH, but um, it's just, it's kind of a messy situation all around and it's not Ozuna's fault. It's not the Braves' fault. It's just uh, MLB's kind of dropping the ball here and it, it would benefit everybody if, if there was some clarity here sooner rather than later. Yeah, and I know the CBA is in the backdrop of all this, and I understand that, but they did show in 2020, and as we talked about last week, not to just keep banging on that drum, but they were able to hammer out some rules changes that went like right up to the wire of the season getting started in 2020, and I think that they can certainly figure out a way if they want to, if they're motivated to, to get this DH thing taken care of. And I went through and looked because I saw somebody had posted it and I could not find it again. So I just had to go through baseball reference and look major league pitchers take a year off of hitting in 2020. And this is coming off of a 2019 where major league pitchers as hitters batted 128 with a 159 on base, 163 slugging in just over 5,000 plate appearances. And you're telling me that you're going to give that group a year off from doing it and then bring them back, and that that's going to add to the competitive flavor or the quality of play or whatever you want to call it. For a lot of people, myself included, I mean, my view of the pitcher hitting has really, I think, evolved over the last probably two decades to the point where, and I'd be interested to see if you kind of view it this way as well. I I think we agree on this, but pitchers don't really focus that much on hitting. They weren't good at it to begin with, but now it's really not even something that you're focusing on in player development because a lot of these guys don't even pick up a bat until double A, And if you're going to take years off of hitting and then be asked to do it at the highest level, it seems to be kind of counterintuitive to putting the best product on the field. And I'd just be interested to get your take on that. Yeah, yeah, I'm a National League guy through and through. Grew up following the National League, covering a National League team now and everything. And and I was anti-DH for a while. Now I'm all for it. We talk about how baseball needs to evolve and reach younger fans and Look, for an excitement factor, would you simply put, would you rather have a lineup that has Marcel Ozuna and, say, Adam Duvall, or would right. you rather have Ozuna in left field and faulty hitting? You know what I mean? It, it's not – this isn't a difficult thing. Uh, pitchers hitting – if the real argument for it is just tradition, that's not really a good argument at this point. So, I mean, again, I'm, I'm with you. My opinion on it has evolved. And, look, we're getting it in 2022. It's just a matter of are we going to have one more year of this? And, and I just don't think – and you made some good points there. I, it just doesn't seem wise to have pitchers hitting uh, for this one more season. It seems like we just need to kind of get on with what we know is the future of baseball. Yeah, and I just don't see the pros. You know, I see plenty of cons to it, but I just don't see the pros of doing it. Yeah. Like you said, if the argument is tradition for tradition's sake, I mean, I think that over the course of human history, we can look at a lot of things that might have been tradition at one time that – just needed to change. And I'm not talking about anything like super deep or uber political, but just, you know, life shows us different things. We learn different things and we change our minds about stuff. And in doing so, as generations go, things change and evolve, hopefully for the better. And I think that baseball evolving toward the DH is just a better brand, if you will, especially at a time in which I don't think that pitchers are really taking that much pride in their hitting over their ability to keep hitters 
from having success when they're on the mound. And I think that that bears out in the way that these guys are being developed in the minor leagues as well. And we'll see how this whole thing plays out. But kind of back to the point with whether it's Marcelo Zuna or Nelson Cruz or pick another slugger that might have some value being your DH. And hearing from Eduardo Perez on MLB Network Radio saying that, you know, Ozuna doesn't view himself as strictly a DH. I don't think at 30 years old, he really should have to view himself as that. But there are some liabilities with him in the field. But if it came down to it, again, to circle back to our point that we've been making for a while here on the show, if it came down to one year of Marcelo Ozuna having to play left field, but I get that bat in the lineup, or not signing Marcelo Ozuna and having to go find a suitable replacement and that not being necessarily an easy thing to do, I'm just going to bite the bullet and play Marcelo Ozuna in left field for a year and then let the thing work itself out in the CBA. Because as you pointed out, I don't think it's a question of if there's going to be a universal DH. It's just when. It feels like a matter of when. Everyone's kind of looking at it that way. And, you know, Ozuna's a, he's a real competitor. That's one thing that, you know, you, it's one of those kind of typical things people say. But this guy is – he was on some very not great teams in Miami, obviously. And his first taste of October – um, was with the Cardinals, and I mean, he had he had this this a uh, couple months ago, and he's a I mean, he's going to want to play the field. I mean, I admire him for it, regardless of you know if teams kind of see it that way. I mean, it would be easy for him to kind of transition there and realize, you know, I prefer just doing the hitting thing. But so I mean, credit to him for that. Uh, I think that's a mindset thing, and I think that does speak well of him. Look, I think there's a lot, and I wrote about this in the blog I just wrote. It's a matter of there's value in continuity. There's value in knowing what you have in him. You've, you've spent time with him now. They saw him in the field. It wasn't a huge sample size, but you kind of know what the deal is. When you sign him, you're not signing him because he has that gold glove, right? <laughs> you saw what a tremendous fit in the clubhouse he was. A lot of the young players continued to praise him, how he helped them, how willing he was, how he connected with everybody. Uh, Travis Darno had a quote talking about how he was surprised because he didn't realize that Ozuna's approach was so advanced. And Ozuna's shown he, he's kind of grown. He's a more selective hitter. Yeah, I mean, obviously, he hits the hell out of the ball. Mm-hmm. Um, there's promising indicators there that are trending upwards that suggest, you know, may, you know it's going to be hard to replicate what he did this past season, especially over a larger sample size. But there's plenty of indicators to say he can still – you know, being an elite offensive player, and we've seen it in his past as well. And clearly this environment and hitting next, next to Freddie and just everything kind of go, you really know you have something here, and it doesn't come with the same red flags that Josh Donaldson did when you were discussing signing him to a multi-year deal and his age and whatnot. So, I mean, the more that I've researched it and the more that we've talked about it and I've talked about it with other people, I, I just continue to think that it makes a ton of sense to get this done. And, and, you know, there are risk, there's risk involved. And, you know, if the price goes up, maybe it just reaches a point the Braves can't do it because of all this kind of stuff that we've talked about before. But certainly um, this is a situation that I think both sides would, would benefit from greatly if they were able to reach a deal, even if that means Ozuna handling left field for one season. Yeah, there's a lot to be said as far as the fit is concerned. And I think about Ozuna and it's interesting that Travis Darno kind of pointed this out, but, when you watch him every day, I think you can get a different appreciation for not only is he a guy that hits the ball hard, but he is a guy that goes up there and he routinely hits the ball hard. And it's not by accident. He's not just lucking into it. Like he does have a, a much more advanced approach than I think people realize. And I just think about the benefit of having a guy like that who's, you know, six, seven years, I guess, into his big league career at this point, maybe eight years, just depending on what the math is. But either way, 
having a guy like that that has some similar attributes to the style of hitter that Ronald Acuna is in terms of being a guy who barrels up the ball, hits the ball hard, I feel like putting as many of those kind of hitters as you can and then also having Ronald get the chance to learn, if, if by nothing else, if they never have a discussion about hitting through watching the approach of having great hitters around him, I think putting that collective talent together, it just rubs off on each other. There's a transitive property, I guess is what I'm saying. And, of course, the biggest transitive property of putting a whole bunch of good hitters in a lineup together is, oh, by the way, you should score a lot of runs and win a lot of games. And the Braves were doing that at a pretty good clip in 2020. So I'd love to see him back. This DH thing has gone on for a while. When are we going to get the answer to that? I don't really know. But it's going to be worth monitoring, and the Braves and Ozuna still seem to be a great fit. You know, years, money, all those things are on the table. They're going to have to discuss it. You know, quite literally, everything's on the table for them to figure out what they can do on both sides. Ozuna's representation as well, see what kind of offers he gets. But having half the field being hesitant to even make an offer can't be a great feeling as a guy like Marcelo Ozuna, who performed very well as a DH, and clubs may just ask him to do that. And if he does and they want to give him a big contract, I'm sure he won't mind that either when it comes to not putting on the glove as often as he did maybe in his younger years. But Either way, there's something else I noticed, Gabe, this week that was kind of interesting when it comes to you know, not only the Braves in the market for looking for another reliever, but just kind of the trends of what's going on in the market. And I think it's going to be a, a buyer's market for relievers. But one club that's done an awful lot of selling or moving of relievers is the Cincinnati Reds because they traded closer Rysel Iglesias to the Los Angeles Angels this past week. And it came immediately after they cut Uh, by non-tendering Archie Bradley, who they'd acquired in a trade with the Arizona Diamondbacks. So they're not just down one closer. They're down two closers, Iglesias becoming an angel, and Bradley, of course, on the free agent market. And in the fallout of that, I saw this tweet from ESPN's Buster Only last week that I'd be interested to discuss, where he sized up the National League Central. You have the Reds cutting payroll. You have the Cubs cutting payroll. You have the Cardinals managing payroll, according to Buster, Brewers managing payroll, and, of course, you got the Pirates who seem to be rebuilding for, what is it, 25 out of the last 28 years. That's pretty much been their rebuild model. But Basically. with the Central Division seemingly entering this, what looks like a down cycle for them with a club, like especially the Cubs, that had been so good and expected to be a real player in the National League with the team that they've had and not being able to make it back to the level they got to at 2016 – I feel like the window of contention seems to open a little bit wider for a club like the Braves. And I'm interested to see what your take is on this because I'm looking across the entire National League and not just is it the National League Central that doesn't seem to have that, you know, heir apparent World Series contender. But if you look across the whole National League, the big hurdle for any club that wants to get to the World Series and represent the NL is beating the Los Angeles Dodgers. And the Braves may be the best equipped club to do it. It looks that way. You know, I haven't gone through year to year, but this does feel like kind of the weakest the NL has been in a while. With Cincinnati, it's a team that accelerated, you know, their rebuild. And, you know, that's a baseball town that has really struggled here for a long time to just put a decent team out there, right? So they make some moves. They spend some money. They made the playoffs, obviously, this past year. The Braves knocked them out. And now it's kind of, you know, obviously they're, they're having some financial issues. They're, they're tearing the whole thing down. They're, they've lost a couple key relievers. Trevor Bauer seems destined to sign somewhere else. Uh, Sonny Gray, it looks like he's going to be on the move. Uh-huh. So that's a team that it pivoted one way, and now it's pivoting the other way. And you look at the rest of the NL Central, 
you just kind of reel it off. The Pirates are just a non-factor. They almost always are. The Cubs definitely trending downwards. They, it feels like they've been trending downwards for a little while now. looks like Bryant, uh, you know, we talked about him in depth last week. He very well could be on a new team. They let go of Schwarber. John Lester's gone, and obviously he was kind of trending downward anyway, but it just seems like that's kind of shifting another way. And Milwaukee, I mean, they barely made that last spot in the playoffs. And, I mean, they're just there's not a team there that, you, that strikes fear in you at all. And even St. Louis, you know, you look at St. Louis, and, you know, there's some positives there, but even they're kind of in a, in a curious state. And you go to the NL West, and the Dodgers are the class of baseball, and they have been for quite some time now. They finally have the ring that everyone was always, you know, wondering when they'd be able to do that. And San Diego, I think – to me, and you can disagree, or if you see somebody else, to me, they're the clear third team in the NL right now. Yeah. Even they have some uh, rotation issues they need to resolve with Clevenger out and whatnot. So, and in the NL West, I mean, Arizona's a team that people kind of liked and they took a step back. There, there's not that much there. The Rockies, you know, Arenado has that opt out coming up. We don't really know what's going on with them. And then the Giants are rebuilding. So you look at the New York Mets are supposed to be a really active club. We're talking, you know, are they going to make some big moves? Are they going to get Bauer? Are they going to get Springer? Are they going to get both of them? Are they going to get Lindor? So there's a lot going on there with new ownership. I think there's a big window for them to establish themselves as even the fourth best team in the NL just because things are just so wide open. And I'm, I'm curious to kind of hear your thoughts on this landscape. Yeah, and especially when you start to look at the National League East, because I did not think I'd be sitting here basically a full calendar year removed from the Nationals winning the World Series thinking, what are the Nationals right now? But you have to because Steven Strasburg got hurt. Max Scherzer's a year yep. older. I mean, Juan Soto is one of the best hitters in all of baseball. I mean, he, in my mind, he's on the top three. And they've got him, and he's going to be there for ostensibly the next few years at the very least. Maybe they extend him. But Anthony Rendon left. That, I think, changed the landscape quite a bit for the Nationals. They were a dreadful team in 2020. The Marlins took a step forward, but what does this start to look like over 162 again, I think is kind of what we have to ask ourselves in the case of some of these clubs. Like, could they sustain it over a longer period of time? How long will the season be in 2021? Is it going to be 140 games, 125 games, 100 games? I mean, we still don't know what Major League Baseball is going to decide to do, what the the health ramifications of the ongoing COVID-19 pandemic are going to be, where this vaccine is going to affect and how quickly it's going to affect our quality of life overall. And again, not to get lost down that rabbit hole because I think we're all exhausted with that, but we want to see things returning to normal and, and, and really not just flattening this curve, but completely turning the curve and getting back to our, our normal lives. And a lot of these baseball teams are kind of in this weird state of limbo, though, financially from the impact of what happened in the loss of revenue in 2020. So the NL Central is one division where I always felt like, well, the Cubs and Cardinals are probably going to be very competitive teams the way that they look. The Brewers have had some very good years, but they're not necessarily a, a behemoth of any sort or a postseason juggernaut. And then the Reds, as quickly as they looked like they were starting to build a contender, they started to take the thing apart. So the National League East and the National League West are kind of in a similar top-heavy way where – You've got the club that's won it most recently, the Dodgers, of course, repeating over and over and over again in the West. The Braves winning three straight National League East division titles. The clear number two team in the East, I don't know if I can say exactly who it is. Should it be the Mets? Probably. But you could also say it should have been the Phillies for a while, and that didn't work out. But then how do you look at the World Series champion Nationals and say, 
Well, I don't really know what they are. Maybe they're a third-place team. Maybe they're a wild-card team. Maybe they're better than they were in 2020, so we just give them a pass on that. It's really hard to tell, to be honest, but I'm with you on San Diego. I do think talent-wise they have what it takes to be one of the top you know, three, four teams in the National League as a whole, and can they give the Dodgers a push over the course of 162? It remains to be seen, really, if anybody can. Yeah, and, and you know, maybe I was being disrespectful or underestimating the Nationals, but the pedigree's there. The, there's still a lot of talent there. The Rendon loss was huge. There's no doubt about it. And, you know, they had a bad year, a bad 60-game season here, and it was a it was a weird year. So, yeah, I'm, I'm with you. I don't really know what to expect out of them. They're certainly not a write-off by any stretch. Uh, you would expect them to be a lot better than the pace they were on this past year. So that's it. You know, we don't know what's going on with the Phillies. You know, they hired Dombrowski, and there was reports out there about them cutting money, and we don't know what's going on with the Romilita. There's just so many what in the world's going on mm-hmm. with Philly. Um, there's just so many questions there that I, I just don't feel comfortable saying much about them. And then Miami, you're right. We need to see them over a longer sample size. I think there's a lot of pitching talent there. You know, can they add to that offense? So everyone, it feels like every year people are talking about how the Mets are a dark horse or the Mets are this and that. But, you know, there is an opportunity with the core that they have in place. If they wind up do getting some of these deals done. Um, and bringing in some of these guys, there's certainly an opportunity for them to establish themselves a second in this division, but it, it's really all over the map. I, I, the good news for Braves fans is I think it's very clear that the Braves are the favorites in this division, and top to bottom, they are certainly the best team in this division right now. Yeah, and not to kick the Nationals while they're down by any stretch of the imagination. I, I thought they were going to bring back a really competitive team in 2020, and they ended up being eight games under 500, which in and of itself is not just an unmitigated disaster, but you know, Trey Turner was awesome. Juan Soto was awesome. Uh, Juan missed a little bit of time. But outside of those two guys, they really did not get much offensively from uh, pretty much anybody else on the club, it doesn't look like. And then you sign Steven Strasburg to a seven-year, almost $250 million contract, and you get exactly five innings out of him. And then you kind of have to wonder, like, well, how is his 2021 going to be affected by the injury that kept him off the field in 2020? So whether or not you could argue they should have spent the big money on Rendon, or they had to spend the big money on Strasburg. They had to keep him in that rotation. But just looking overall at what went on for Washington in the year 2020, it just it doesn't give you a lot of great feelings, I think, about you know where they're trending right now because Max Scherzer's a year older. He's 35. Patrick Corbin, I think, was a disappointment this year as well. I mean, ERA-wise, record-wise, I mean, he, his strikeout numbers were pretty good. But overall, the other indicators said it was a down year for him. Anibal Sanchez was awful. Uh, and then Steven Strasburg was a non-factor. So they're going to have to figure out a lot of pieces for the Nationals to get back to where they were even a full year ago this time, maybe back in 2019. So it's it's crazy to see how quickly that can turn around. I mean, we talked a lot about the Cubs, you know, and the expectation that, hey, they're going to be around for a while. They're going to win a couple of these World Series when they won it in 2016. That didn't happen. They made the playoffs a couple more times. But, yeah, I, I think the Braves are they're in a place, a great place, where they're the hunted right now. Of course, they're hunting the Dodgers. They're still going to be doing that. But I think you'd much rather be the club that other teams are hunting than the one that's just in a pack trying to chase down a team or teams in your own division that are just so far ahead of you. Uh, The Braves have the MVP of the National League. They've got what I think is going to be a formidable rotation. They've got one of the great young superstars in baseball in Ronald Acuna. You've got another guy in Ozzie Albies who's not too far off of that as far as being one of at least the most exciting young players in the game. There's a lot to like here. So, 
if you can get motivated as an ownership group to spend the money and have the due diligence to not only keep this group together, but put the pieces in place that you need, the Braves really seem to be literally knocking on the door of great things and something that they have not been able to do in two and a half decades, and that's win a World Series. When you look at a lot of these teams positioned for long-term success, it ends up going the wrong way because of, you know, in the Cubs' case, they they signed some bad contracts, right? Or they just signed contracts and they wound up being unsustainable. Even the Astros, you know, they, they're now you're seeing guys hit free agency and whatnot. In the Braves' case, they're in a really good spot because assuming they give Freddie Freeman his extension, you know, Acuna signed long-term, Ozzy is signed long-term, uh, Freddie will be signed long-term. We'll see about Ozuna or, you know, what, what they wind up doing there. Uh, Freed and Soroka uh, are first-time ARB eligible this winter. You have Ian Anderson, who's going to have – he's got a couple of seasons before he'll be ARB eligible. So you kind of look at really the, the core pieces of this team, and, you know, as, if they can stay healthy, you, you feel pretty good that this team is going to be competing for a playoff spot for the next several years. And, and that's really – that's where you want to be as a franchise because Alex has said this before and plenty of people pointed out. I mean, you have to – if you're going to have a chance to win the thing, obviously you have to get there. And when you're when you're fielding a team that is capable of getting there, uh, you're going to give yourself a chance. And you never you saw how hard it was for the Dodgers to win it. It's not an easy thing to get all the way. This team was really close. That doesn't mean that they'll get over the hump next year. But uh, to be able to have a roster and have a franchise that the expectation is not just to make the playoffs, but now it's to win in the playoffs. We've been over that a lot. Uh, just given where they are, I, I think it's a good place to be. And, and you know, they're chasing one team, and the rest of the National League is chasing them, right? Yeah. So everyone has to catch up to the Braves to catch up to the Dodgers. So the Braves are certainly – they're in a really good spot, and every move that they are making needs to have an eye on October, and that is the case. And they're just trying to figure out how they can, you know, get over the get over that Dodgers hump, and, and that really is – that's the best place to be. Yeah. Uh, right now in baseball, so kudos to the organization for that. It's the final hurdle to clear, really, is to beat the team that has kind of been, as, as you mentioned, that club that's there annually. You know, they're there every year in that National League Championship Series or in the World Series. They've made three of those appearances since 2017 and finally won the thing. So, And they had to get over a Braves team that came out in the NLCS and it really punched them in the mouth. And as much as that's a disappointment for the Braves to get up three games to one and lose that series, it's a testament to the Dodgers to – you know, not stay down once they got knocked down. They answered that standing eight count, if you want to call it that, and came back with some punches of their own. So uh, that aside, as, as we've gone through the postseason and the the what-ifs that could come with that for the Braves, that we'll be thinking about for a while. But uh, it really, it comes down to this winter, making the moves to strengthen the places that the Braves need to add a little bit. I think that the Marcelo Zuna and or figuring out who that slugger in the middle of the lineup behind Freddie Freeman is going to be is at the top of the list. And just after that, as they've already addressed the rotation, which you could argue was top of the list as well, you got to figure out maybe a little bit to help out the back end of the bullpen, whether that's a reliever or two. I would say probably two, what they'll be, who they'll be. That's, of course, yet to be seen as well. And we know that the Braves continue to shop for those. And I'm sure that even though Alex Anthopoulos is not really known as the guy who makes all the big moves at the winter meetings in his time with Atlanta, I feel like, Gabe, he gets a lot of work done talking and perpetually putting himself in position to make the deals when he lines up on the one he likes. Yeah, he's a machine. He, he's always going at it. and He's going to be up late. He's going to be up early. Uh, just And Grant, you've, you've had the pleasure of listening to him. When you just kind of listen to him reel off numbers and 
you know, contracts that guys get and value and even looking forward, he's really on top of things. And uh, again, we, we mentioned this last week, the reliever market's probably going to be moving slowly, but with the position the Braves are in, they don't, there's really, they have one hole on their team that could cost a lot of money and, you know, re-signing Ozuna or maybe bringing in another slugger that in way of prospects mm-hmm. or, you know, a financial commitment or whatnot, but, you know, improving the bench, adding a couple of relievers, those are not probably going to be very pricing moves. So the, the team really is in a pretty good spot and we don't know about payroll. We continue to talk about payroll around baseball, but it seems like given where the Braves are and where they are payroll wise, they shouldn't really have any issue perhaps, you know, bringing in one of those kind of guys who might cost a little bit more money, a guy like an Ozuna, or, you know, we mentioned trading for Chris Bryant. He's about 19 million, that kind of range. And then adding some bench depth and relievers. So I, I think they're in pretty good shape. Yeah. A lot of different ways this puzzle can be solved and we'll see when it happens. And of course, when it does, we'll talk about it right here on from the diamond. So that's what's going on with the Braves. And another story that I want to get to before we wrap things up for this week is it's a big story. It's been an ongoing story since about a year ago this time when we found out that minor league baseball, as we know it or knew it, was going to be changed and that Major League Baseball wanted what was referred to as radical realignment of the minor league baseball system. And we've seen that play out. Uh, We could probably do a whole show on this, but we won't for the sake of brevity right now. But there is a little bit to talk about because who knows how much we'll be talking about this over the coming weeks and or months or years as this whole thing is put into place. But the Braves did announce their affiliates and all 30 clubs announced their affiliation plans as minor league baseball uh, basically contracted uh, a number of different teams and leagues and realigned some others, and they invited, that's how it was termed, inviting teams to be their affiliates for this year. For the Braves, no surprise, AAA Gwinnett Stripers, AA Mississippi Braves, High A Rome Braves, all three of those clubs are owned and operated by the Atlanta Braves Professional Baseball Club, so no surprise there. Low A, though, Augusta Green Jackets uh, got that designation, so that means no more Florida Fire Frogs. No more Danville Braves as well. The Gulf Coast League will still be running at the Braves spring training facility. So you still have that going. But, Gabe, it's going to be a little bit different in minor league baseball when it comes to just the overall number of stops, the number of teams, and the way that player development goes. And I guess the kind of focus that we're going to have in player development because it's not just these particular affiliates, but Major League Baseball with a few other things that they're trying to accomplish with the minor league system as they look to make improvements. We'll call it that. But – a little bit contentious this whole thing has been. Uh, what do you make of the shakeout of this, and were you surprised at all by who the Braves affiliates ended up being? Not surprised at all. Uh, you know, we knew this was – I just think it's really unfortunate. I mean, the, the entire thing, you're right, it's tough. Seeing minor league baseball, true. I mean, it, it's really an amazing part of this sport, obviously. It's something unlike any of the other sports. They don't have anything like this um, as far as the extent of it and how vast this was. As far as the four teams, obviously no surprises. I like the fact they're all located in the South. You're keeping that pipeline. You still have, I mean, obviously, um, you know, my girlfriend is from Mississippi and, and she would go to Mississippi Braves games and saw and saw a lot of, you know, up and comers there. So that obviously it means a lot to small communities and it means a lot that the minor league teams are, are still, you know, in the South and, and near the Braves. So uh, so that aspect of it remains pretty good. It does. And as I looked around, and you mentioned minor league baseball, it really is a shame when you think about all of the people that work and have had the experience and the, and the time that they've spent in the minor leagues. And I was one of those people that spent four years as a minor league play-by-play broadcaster, and the club that I worked for was down in Port Charlotte, which is not far. You have stone's throw, as they say, 
from the Braves' new uh, ballpark at Northport for spring training. Well, that's where the Charlotte Stone Crabs were the high A affiliate of the Tampa Bay Rays. They are no longer affiliated. And that's a club that played inside the spring training ballpark of the major league club that they were an affiliate for. But that uh, was ended, and the Rays chose to go a, a different direction with their affiliates. And no longer are the Charlotte Stone Crabs an affiliated minor league club. So I immediately think about the people I know that I have their numbers in my phone that I you can reach out to and say, I'm, I'm really sorry that this happened this way. I'm, will they do Gulf Coast League stuff at that facility? Well, of course they will. But that doesn't fill the void of minor league baseball there. Now think about that across you know dozens of teams and leagues that are changing in ways that you know these minor league owners didn't necessarily get into knowing that this was even a possibility probably for most of them I, I wouldn't have imagined this you know if you'd asked me this even a year ago before the talk of this started i knew some different things probably needed to be worked on some improvements could be made to the minor leagues but i just never really envisioned this being the way that all all of it was going to play out with the contraction and the realignments and the changes in affiliation and uh, the big sweeping changes that are going on and again we could probably talk about this for quite some time but won't but in the 30,000-foot view, man, there's a lot of things that might make this better for big league clubs, but there's a lot of things that are going to hurt minor league baseball, and it's going to hurt for a while. Yeah, I agree. I think it's unfortunate for a lot of people with jobs, a lot of small communities. It's, um, yeah, I just it's just one of many things that it's disappointing, but, you know, it's it's the choice that was made. It is, and we've seen a few choices made when it comes to major league baseball that just there's a lot of different things that – you look at it and you're like, man, I, I really wish that wasn't a part of my sport right now. But this minor league thing, just it just kind of hurt. Because, I, again, I just feel for the people that are working so hard to provide that family-friendly entertainment value to that community and you know allow people to continue to enjoy the game in a way that minor league baseball delivers and does so for communities where a major league baseball team might just not be around the corner, might not be an option for a lot of fans. That aside, uh, and speaking of the minor leagues, I want to close on this. We saw the Rule 5 draft going on at the virtual winter meetings, and the Braves made a they made no major league picks in the Rule 5 draft, which is not surprising. They did make a handful of minor league picks in the Rule 5 draft, in the, in the minor league phase. Uh, right-hand pitcher A.J. Puckett, second baseman Jalen Miller, who's actually a local Atlanta product, and outfielder Jacob Pearson as well. Uh, Gabe, these are probably not going to be names that are going to go on to you know, be uh, of the household variety for Braves fans. But uh, interesting to see when a club decides to you know, take a flyer on adding another talent to the minor league system. And that's kind of what the Braves were looking to do here. Maybe just build some organizational depth, it looks like. Yeah, I mean, I mean adding organizational depth and, and you kind of trust these guys. And, you know, they've been really good at, at kind of gyms, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, this this organization has, has already found some guys even recently. And, and, you know, if they see something they like, it's worth taking a look at a you kind of have to put your faith in them, right? I mean, they've shown they're they're really smart with this type of stuff, so uh, we'll just see if any of them uh, turn into anything. Yeah. David Lee, who has a great Braves Prospects newsletter, I invite you to check out his stuff. He's done some really great work just kind of filtering through and and trying to size up a lot of the minor leagues, doing what I would refer to as a deep dive on the Braves minor league system. Of course, David, a friend of the show, I've had him on quite a few times, would invite you to check out his stuff over at bravesprospects.com. Great place to get some insight on the Braves minor league system, and I'm sure he'll have some write-ups on the Rule 5 guys, whether it's immediately or as we move towards spring training and start figuring out, hey, what minor league baseball season is going to look like next year. We're hoping there's going to be one. There wasn't one in 2020, so I don't know. I'm kind of excited to know, hey, here's some new names, even if they're not big major league moves, just knowing that there is going to be minor league baseball next year makes me feel kind of good as well. And 
Uh, looking forward to seeing what baseball in 2021 is going to look like for all of us, and we'll continue to monitor that story as it comes along, and hopefully the news is uh, better more times than not. But, Gabe, I appreciate you making time again this week. I've enjoyed it. We await whatever the next thing is for Alex Antopoulos and the Braves as they try to continue building and adding to this club and getting them back into World Series contention in 2021. Absolutely. Thanks for having me, Grant. That'll wrap things up for this episode of the show. You can always find From the Diamond on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, SoundCloud, and Stitcher. We appreciate your ratings and reviews, and if you share it with a friend, we'd appreciate that too. Over on social media, on Twitter, you can find the show at From the Diamond underscore. I am at Grant McCauley. Gabe Burns is at Gabe Burns HAC. And, of course, you can find every episode of the show and so much more at FromTheDiamond.com. So I appreciate Gabe Burns, as always, making some time to talk about the latest news concerning the Atlanta Braves. And I appreciate you making From the Diamond part of your weekly podcast regimen. And I'm already looking forward to next week's episode of the show, and I hope you are too. So for Gabe Burns, I'm Grant McCauley. We will catch you next time. So long, everyone.